Hello. Welcome to episode number 35 of CXO Talk. I am Michael Krigsman, and here, as always, with my co-host, the introspective and exuberant, yet nonetheless outgoing and quiet, Mr. Vala Offshore. Vala? Michael, thank you very How much. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. And we have a fantastic guest today. Ramon Baez, who is the CIO of Hewlett Packard. Hi, Ramon. Hey, hi, Michael. Hi, Vala. How are you today? We're doing well, thank you, sir. We're doing great. Uh, Vala, I'm very excited about today's show. We have an extraordinary CIO from an extraordinary company as, as our guest. I'm super excited, Michael. Super. Really large company, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ramon, uh, let's start by asking you to tell us briefly about your background. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, I started my career at a company called Northrop Grumman. Actually, it was Northrop, and then it became Northrop Grumman in the mid-90s. And I spent 25 years there. I started as a trainee and moved into uh, the CIO ranks. But uh, a lot of people don't know that I worked on the B-2 bomber program, the stealth bomber, for uh -huh. 15 years. And uh, frankly, that's where I learned a lot of my program management discipline and uh, the whole IT, uh, the, way, the way you manage IT well and so forth. But I didn't have a global role. It was a domestic role. And I really wanted to, to do more. So I went to go work for a company called Honeywell. And I was at Honeywell for about three and a half years. And that's really where I got my global experience, where I've spent, you know, spent a lot of time in Europe and a lot of time in Asia and dealing with the global team. And then I moved over to Fisher Scientific, uh, that then became Thermo Fisher Scientific. Um, but then I wanted to do more. I wanted to uh, continue to be a part of a larger company. And so I worked for Kimberly Clark for five and a half years, and it was based in Dallas. And uh, that was a, a, a tremendous experience. And then I got a phone call that said, would you like to come to HP? And I said, well, who wouldn't? And here I am. So I've been here now for a little over a year. You, uh, you recently in a Wall Street Journal post talked about how you know, your goal is to introduce and accelerate velocity and agility and flexibility and also integrate the IT uh, organization into the development processes and in the entire HP ecosystem. Talk a little bit about your role as the CIO of HP and how you plan to increase velocity and flexibility, which is something that all CXOs are, are looking to, 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 to achieve. Yeah, Vala, great question. You know, that's, um, it's easier said than done, right? Mm, and sure. to me, it's more about a mindset. And what that mindset means is how do you get everyone focused on doing the right things that has a direct impact to top line as well, you know, well, as well as effectiveness and efficiencies. And then, then having that open two-way two conversation from Meg, from John Henshaw, to myself, mm -hmm. and, and, and the rest of the executive council to really understand what obstacles that we can break down so people can be, uh, be all that they can be. I'll, be, I'll say like the Marines would say, be all that they can be here at Hewlett Packard so we can truly have that, that impact on the company in a very um, rapid response. You know, Vala, you know we're going through a turnaround. And when you're in a turnaround, you must move quickly. 
time is of the essence. So you have to have that sense of urgency. And, and, and it, again, that's easier said than done. How do you instill that sense of urgency throughout the organization without getting everyone nervous all the time or breaking things too much or, or, or causing more disruption than good? And so it's a, it's a balance you have to go do. Uh, but the, the bottom line is when you work with, you have a good leadership team and you communicate, communicate, and communicate, Hmm. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about just sending emails. I'm actually saying doing things like this or, or meeting people face-to-face -face all over the globe, but getting them excited about what we're doing. Sure. And um, when people are feeling really good about what they do, they really do it quickly, and they do it well. But doing it, what you're describing, I guess to some degree every company going through change has to do that, but you're talking about some about a level of change at a, at a scale that very few companies on the face of the planet have. I would think that that creates some really nightmarish challenges. Well, it's like anything. You have to really figure out what are the problems you're trying to solve. What are the biggest problems you're trying to solve? And I love the way Meg says it. You know, it's not just anecdotal problems, but you have data to back up the problems. So if you clearly understand that we're having an issue with a particular partner or a particular customer, let's learn from that problem and let's fix it. But then let's go and determine, do we have that issue anywhere else? And then we projectize it in a way that we can make it happen rather quickly. But what can happen, Michael, is you can become very unfocused on things that, uh, that seem critical but aren't, and, does, and they do not move the needle. And so what our job is as leaders are really to stay very, very focused on what does move that needle. And I, you know, I've gone through this at other companies. Once you're very focused on what those things are, that vital few, and you start seeing how it has an impact, and again, our focus is how do we work better with our customers and how do our customers work better with us, so we can continue to grow and them getting excited about Hewlett-Packard again, that's exactly what we have to go do. And so from a technology perspective, our job is to determine, okay, what, what are the technology deployments that we have to do that are going to enable those fixes, those corrections, as quick as possible? And the good news is we get feedback immediately. Hmm. So can you give us a sense of scale, size of employees and partners and customers that you're trying to serve and um, and and how does IT bring uh, and harmonize the different needs of the various stakeholders both from looking from the outside in and, and then also you know stakeholders and customers that you're trying to serve within the HP ecosystem yeah so we have uh, hundreds of thousands of customers and partners around the world right so wow. So you can see how that can be uh, sure. uh, overbearing, but it's like anything else. You got the 80-20 rule. So if you really understand the 20% of those customers that 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 impact 80% of our overall revenue and be very very focused on them, you'll have a positive effect on the rest of them. Okay. The, 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 if you think about the size and scale of our company, uh, you know, last year our revenue was over 120 billion dollars in revenue. And, and we reported um, a number of over 300,000 employees that work at Hewlett-Packard around the globe. 
and not to mention the contractors that work for us. Right. So right. our scale is rather large. And so what the IT organization has to do, and, and frankly, this problem is not just our problem. We always get more demand than really what, what we can, can provide. So our job is how do you prioritize the true valuable, the true, true projects that create that value that we have to enable whatever uh, processes, whatever solutions, and so on. So what we had to do is we did restructure our leadership team from an IT perspective uh, uh, the middle of last year where we have really strong business unit chief information officers that are embedded into the leadership teams of the businesses. And we really needed to have this federated model. So, so what I mean by that is the BU CIOs are embedded with the leadership teams. Okay. But we do have a centralized delivery model that is of a very large scale, whether it's application development, you know, the whole application development and maintenance, uh, how we do infrastructure support and so on. So the good news is that's very centralized and uh, we have improved our processes over the last year, year or so. So we can deliver quicker because we're always constantly looking at how do we how do we become faster deploying capability? Sure. But the way we organized ourselves with the leadership teams, we're, we know what's most important for those businesses or those functions that we serve. And we make sure we stay very focused on that. And, we, and those are the measures we keep track of, of, of on-time delivery and did we really deliver a quality product. And we get feedback immediately. And our projects aren't these big three-year monolithic things we're deploying capability on a quarterly basis across the whole company. And the feedback from our business leaders and functional leaders and the people throughout the organization has been extremely positive. Wow. So, so presumably then the role of the CIOs embedded across the company in different parts of the business is to enable closer ties between these uh, business units or functions, I'm assuming, such as, such as marketing, for example, with IT, and to ensure that IT is uh, being most responsive to each of those units' narrow and specific needs. Correct. So whether it's marketing, finance, HR, supply chain, um, our, the way we're organized here, our largest business is our uh, printing and personal systems business. We have our enterprise group, our enterprise services, and our software businesses. So we actually have BU CIOs that are all apart. We're all about one team, right? So we are one leadership team, but we have these folks embedded with their leadership teams. So we are clearly, uh, we have line of sight of what their strategies are and their pain points. So we can help them resolve those problems rapidly. And that's how you get quick. If, if, you, if everything goes to the center and there's one person saying, okay, this is what we're going to go do, we, you know, we're only going to do these things, I'll tell you what, we will fail. That is sure. not our approach. Sure. Our approach is to, to divide up the workload in a way that we can move very, very quickly and have a uh, phenomenal impact, not only on the company, but the, the experience that our customers are having with us. Is, is, there, is there a commonality in terms of this hub-and-spoke um, um, structure whereby, for example, do you have common 
balanced performance scorecards where you're measuring success in a uniform manner across the different BUs? Or uh, do, they, do they all have agile development processes in terms of how they deliver products and services? Where, where is that governance defined? In the center or by the BUs? Yeah, Vala, what, what we do is we have a leader over our global program management office. And, and that leader is responsible not only for what we do for the software development lifecycle, whether it's agile or waterfall, or some of my leaders like to call it agile, right? And, and so they, they have that standard process. Then we also have uh, the way we do project management, the way we do continuous improvement, um, our portfolio management, so that's where it comes in, and you know we prioritize accordingly based on value and based on what our affordability numbers are and so on. So you, you do have that centralized, but then, then when it gets to the BUCIOs, there are sometimes different metrics. Like for example, what gets measured in services is very different than what gets measured in our enterprise group, right? So you have to allow that flexibility. And, and if we don't allow that flexibility, then, then all, all four businesses can't perform at the level and the speed that they need to perform. Okay, I can't, Val, I can't hear you. Me? Can you hear? Yes, I can hear you now. All right. Can, can you hear me? Okay. Yes. The gods of Google are troubling okay. us today. <laughs> um, I, I, what I was saying is there must be an incredible level of collaboration within HP to be able to deliver to your agile, flexible, high-velocity environment. What type of tools do you use uh, above and beyond email uh, and, and, and standard face-to-face you know, -face meetings to have the level of uh, uh, synergy and, and collaboration to drive uh, uh, your, your, your objectives? Well, before, before you talk about tools, you've got to talk about people. It's okay. about leadership, right? Right. Uh, it, it, tools are great, but if you don't have leaders that work well together, and so when we pull this team together, our team is relatively new. Everyone on my team has been in their role from 18 months or less. Wow. All of them, very strong leaders. And what I needed to do as the leader of this team, do I want a bunch of track stars, or do I want the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> you or know, the New England I, Patriots. Or the New England, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I, lived, I lived in the Northeast for a little while, so okay. I, I walk world is very nice. <laughs> so, so the point is, I needed a team that would work really strong leading their teams, but I also needed a team that would work together, right? And so I will tell you, being in this role, I have never seen a team go through the forming, storming, norming, and then performing phases like I have. <laughs> this was amazing. And every time we get together, they surprise me even more how powerful that is. So, so it starts at the leadership. The leadership team is working phenomenally together. Now, in regards to processes and tools, we use our PPM tool that is a HP product to do portfolio management and planning across all of our organizations. And I'll tell you, that has been a godsend for us. Great. Because that really lays out, the you know, it takes a very complex situation and simplifies 
on what we're going to do. And then we take that tool and we can carve it out so we can be very, very specific of what we're doing in investment areas within the businesses, right? I mean, these businesses in their own right can be very, very large companies. Sure. Right? Sure. And so, so we have to be able to slice and dice this information in a way that's digestible for the leadership teams within the businesses to understand, okay, this is the capability we're going to be delivering at this point in time. Because it's not about just IT doing the work. we got to be able to collaborate with the functions and businesses, and we all have to move at the same speed. What about the relationship between marketing and IT? In many organizations, it's a, it's a relationship that is fraught with frustration and difficulty on both sides. And what is this? What does HP scale do to that relationship, and how do you manage it? Yeah, so you know, we just went through a, a bit of a reorganization just in the last few months of our marketing organization, and I love this. I love what's taken place because we're becoming more and more efficient about how we're going to deliver marketing services overall. Um, and what's, what, what we've done on the IT side is we put a leader over IT interfacing with our marketing organization that has a marketing background. Huh. So he has not only an information technology background, but he also has worked in marketing at other companies. So he's been in the role now for about 13, 14 months. So now you have an individual that understands the processes understands what's best in class for as products and services that we can use in marketing and our marketing team absolutely loves this person and once you have that kind of relationship it all starts coming together nicely and of course you got to execute right sure. and so what happens in the world of IT sometimes old messages are still hard to unwind and what I mean by that is maybe in the past IT didn't deliver as fast and and now what they're seeing is a different approach where we're very very customer focused and we are very very focused on delivering and executing either on a ske on schedule or ahead of schedule and we love to sometimes over deliver in other words hey by the way we said we were going to give you this but we noticed we can make all these other things happen in this particular time frame so that's the relationship we have with marketing right now. It's actually a, not a frustrating relationship at all. It's actually very, very good. And I, I had read that in, in your in your previous um, company, you and the C CMO had worked together to build a digital center of excellence. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and uh, where you see perhaps some of that uh, incorporated in HP's future? Yeah, so the, the whole idea um, was... It, at, at my prior company, what they were very focused on was how do we get the the digital assets that are incredibly important in the marketing side, and how do we get the technology teams to work better together? Hmm. And so, uh, working with my colleagues there, we said, why don't we create this thing called a digital center of excellence? And really, what it did was brought the teams together instead of worrying about turf, worrying about who's responsible for what. Why don't we just work together to make these things happen and, and make them happen quicker? So, so the, what the bottom line was for us in that particular role was we were trying to do things that the company has never done before at a speed that we've never done. Uh, 
Right. And, and also, since social media was becoming a big deal, we needed to be able to work close from an infrastructure or an IT solutions provider perspective, along with the, the really smart guys and creative folks in, in marketing, right. and we needed to partner. So we didn't create a DCOE here because we really didn't need to, mm -hmm. because I believe HP has been very, very progressive in this area. What we had to make sure we had was the right leadership working well together. So it's more about right now process improvement Got it. and removing some of the duplications so we become much more, more effective and getting the best bang for our marketing dollar. Sure. And, and the beauty of it is we're working together with our Six Sigma teams, our, our Lean Six Sigma teams, as well as the marketing team, and then, of course, the IT enablement part of it. And that's, um, that is actually a very winning combination. I have, uh, there's a question from Frank Scavo on Twitter. And Frank says that in 2008, the Wall Street Journal was, reported that HP was on track to reduce IT spending to less than 2% of revenue. Is that still the case? Yeah, absolutely. We can't, I can't give you exactly the numbers because we are in our quiet period right now, so I'm not privileged to do that. But uh, we have managed our IT costs extremely well. I think the difference for us, if you think about 2008 to where we are today, we're not only managing the cost well, we're also doing a tremendous job providing the capability that the businesses need. And what I mean by that is there was a mandate that we had in the organization in, in the last six, seven years to, to really drive down IT costs. And that was a huge metric for everybody. But to me, the true metric should be, are we making the company a better company? And we need to have performance metrics that actually articulate that. And, and what, so when I think of true innovation, true innovation or innovation is not just something that comes out of IT. That's just activity. To me, true innovation is when we are able to create value for the company. In other words, uh, when we're doing sales process transformation, are we able to get the right tools to our sales folks to better serve our customers? And, and are those sales folks thrilled about the tools we gave them? Not that it was the lowest cost tool, but it was the best tool to do the job. Right. So our customers had a better, a, a better experience with us. And so the metrics have changed in a sense where we're still managing costs very, very well. But the metrics are changing. Are we making our businesses better, whether it's the supply chain, whether it's HR, whether it's finance, and so on? And that's what I love about what Meg wanted me to come to do, come to do here at HP, was, you know, what she told me on the onset. Ramon, we're going to increase innovation budget for you because it's important that we get this done. And that's what we did uh, starting a year and a half ago, and we're still driving that forward. Speaking of tools, and, and I love the fact that you're a social CIO, so you're active on Facebook, you're active on Twitter, and you're the CIO of one of the largest companies on earth. So what advice do you give to other executives, especially CIOs, who talk about not having enough time to engage and they don't believe in social media? Anybody can do this and do it well, and you've demonstrated that. 
Um, we'd love to hear your, 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 your advice on why you started and why you're active and why you believe it's important. Well, let, me, let me break them up. I, you know, I, okay. I, I have uh, Facebook, um, you know, I, I definitely am on Facebook and LinkedIn and then Twitter. So LinkedIn was probably the very first social network that I connected with and I really didn't even understand it. Somebody sent me a, an invite, I connected <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm on LinkedIn. Right? That, that happened almost 10 years ago and it was kind of, it, it was kind of interesting. Sure. The value of being on LinkedIn are people can reach out to me across industries and, and they can communicate if things are going well or if things are not going well. Or if I can help a colleague um, uh, with an opportunity out there, I try to do that. Sure. You know, if, if I'm able to. But again, time is of a constraint. So that's how I use LinkedIn. And I love to be connected with my business colleagues. And that's how I use LinkedIn. Facebook was more about my wife and I wanting to be connected with our kids. One day she said, Ramon, I want to be on this thing called MyFace. And I said, MyFace? I go, honey, there's MySpace or there's Facebook. And, <laughs> and I am not getting on MySpace. <laughs> so, the, so bottom line, we got, we got on Facebook. And the reason we did it is because we have three adult children living in Southern California. We were living in Dallas. And we wanted to be more connected with them. Sure. Now we have grandchildren, and what better way to see you know, all the pictures and what's going on in their lives? Well then, of course, what happens is people reach out to you, start getting connected, and then, wow, Facebook can be a full-time job if you let it. <laughs> I like using it to keep up with the kids and then you know, uh, connected with friends as well. Twitter is quite interesting. What, what I tell other IT leaders, what I love about Twitter is I don't have to go search for information. Information comes to me. And, and if you identify the people that you want to follow, typically you're going to get the things that are relevant to you. And, and frankly, that's what I really like about it. And I do love about what I love about Twitter is I can retweet or, or tweet an article that I read that I think other CIOs should be interested in or some of the things that we are doing at Hewlett Packard and so on. So I, you know, I can't spend a lot of time out there, but when I do, it's, you know, I try to be very resourceful with it. And, uh, and it's a great way for people, especially LinkedIn, it's a great way for people to be connected with me uh, from a business standpoint. Well, let's talk about the cloud, this thing called cloud. Yeah. Thoughts on cloud? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's pretty open. So are we talking about the clouds we see when we're flying across country, or what are we talking about here? Well, you know, I've heard this rumor that you've been a big consumer of cloud uh, software, such as Workday and Salesforce, and so maybe let's let's start there, and then we can broaden up into the sky. All right, Michael. Great question. <laughs> you know, I really started embracing software as a service uh, in 2009. And the reason I did that was I was having difficulties trying to create value and, and deploying true innovation to our businesses with our on-prem model. And, 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 and it was just, just really a struggle for us. And so that was, at that point in time, I just told my leadership team, I want us to start looking at some of the, the cloud providers, some of the software services out there to do these types of functions. And one of them was human capital management. One was uh, what we do for the sales force. And then it, it started being other kind of things like we did in travel and expense and so forth. So these were 
things that I wanted to look at to see whether or not they were good for us to move forward on. And because it, it, it didn't really play into our core at that time. Now let's fast forward here to Hewlett Packard. Since we did those things in my previous job, we're also doing these things here. We have one of the largest deployments at Salesforce.com, as well as the speed that we got it done has just been mind-boggling for folks. As a matter of fact, we've done it so well working with our, our partners is that a lot of the CIOs, when they want to meet with me, they want to talk about what we've done with our sales process transformation. Sure. What have we done with our quote to cash process? And you know, next year we'll be deploying, doing a big bang deployment of Workday for all of Hewlett Packard. Wow. And that will be the largest deployment of Workday uh, once we go live. And frankly, the reason we do this and the reason I like it so much is the speed to market. So this is this whole this whole thing, new style of IT, which us IT leaders are going through. It's it's speed to market. So I can get things to my customers as fast as possible, number one. Number two, I love the user-centered design. I love the user experience where people can have modern technology either on their PC, their tablet, their smartphone. I love that we can provide that kind of service. And then we are getting really good about taking these cloud tools, software as a service, and doing all the back-end integration to make sure what we've kept on-prem keeps everything in sync. And we have a tremendous team in our information management organization that works really well with our BU CIO teams to make sure we put this architecture and this, this process in place. And we share this with our customers when they come to visit us, either through a CIO roundtable or through an executive business center visit. I, I just want to go back to a, a statement that you made a moment ago that on-prem software was not giving you the ability to innovate the way that you wanted? That's, that's quite an extraordinary statement, actually. Well, the, the, the issue you have is, you know, especially when you do large deployments of some of these monolithic systems, right. when, you, when you deploy them, and yes, there are upgrades coming, but they're so hard sometimes to upgrade that you take two to three, sometimes five years to upgrade them. So that means your organization, as an IT leader, the enterprise that you're supporting has antiquated software to deal with modern processes. Our job as IT leaders is to try to keep us as competitive as possible in the marketplace. And it's really hard to be competitive when you're dealing with antiquated processes and antiquated systems. And that's the beauty of software as a service where you get upgrades a couple times a year and they aren't that difficult to upgrade and and that's why I really like that and that's what what that's what drew me to software as a service back in 2009 so you know we've heard the acronym BYOD but certainly with multi-tenant SaaS uh, cloud solutions BYOA application BYOC your cloud uh, Talk about shadow IT. Talk about how certainly an organization as large as HP, there must be um, instances where you know different lines of business have embraced their their own technology and are using solutions perhaps outside the purview of the centralized IT organization. What are your thoughts about shadow IT? Do you embrace it? How do you how do you evolve in an environment where again cloud mobile social has embraced 
both individuals and different lines of business to perhaps invest in technology without collaborating with IT? Well, Vala, I'll tell you, I'm gonna, about to share some information with you that a lot of people don't know. Okay, but I great. We love I that on CXO oh, Talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to be shadow IT. Oh, wow. A true All right. <laughs> okay. And, and why, the reason I share that with you is that innovation, creativity, comes from all over the organization. Bravo. Right? It comes from all over the organization. And as a CIO of a very large IT function, there's no way on earth I believe we're the only ones that create innovation. There, there can't be. Whether I'm in a technology company or an aerospace and defense company or a CPG company. So I'm in a technology company. We have brilliant engineers everywhere throughout Hewlett Packard. We have to. We, we, we innovate in HP Labs. We collaborate with our colleagues in HP Labs out of an IT perspective to come up with solutions that we do. We co-innovate with our software business. So our IT organization co-innovates co with our software business to make even better product, products for our customers and internally. Within our PPS business, we have our teams within PPS, our, our, our IT folks, working hand in hand to come up with solutions that are best for small and medium-sized businesses. So that's not shadow IT, and I'm not trying to build products for the business, and they're not trying to do it. We need to collaborate and come up with the best solutions. And when we do that, if I, if I had this hammer and said, there are, thou shall not have any shadow IT across Hewlett <laughs> Packard, guess what? They won't work with us. They won't talk to us. That's wrong. We should embrace it, right? Now, granted, if, if something's being created outside of the IT organization that wants to be rolled out throughout the enterprise, then we got to bring that into the IT function because our professional IT organization really needs to make sure it's secure, it's scalable, and so on. But if they're doing some proof of concept or prototyping of some great ideas, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And, and our teams love meeting people like that outside of IT that they can collaborate with. And that's actually been very, very positive in the last 12 months. Do you think that uh, this type of mindset is natural when you're in a technology company, you know, software, application development, hardware, servers, and, 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 and because, again, I think, and Michael, maybe, is, isn't this the minority in terms of the CIO's belief of shadow IT? Well, the, you know, the funny thing is the CIOs who appear on this show pretty much uniformly adopt this same embracing and highly collaborative and highly innovative attitude. But when you read the, the press, you, you read that uh, shadow IT is this bad, horrible thing. And so I wonder if there is a difference between the, the CIOs that are appearing here, who really are so innovative, and many others. Well, Michael, I've worked in multiple companies, and I've had this attitude always. And, and, and maybe because I, I, I used to be one. I used to be this, this little shadow guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I wore the little cape, you know, the dark cape. And so, on, right? so I, I just think uh, if you're going to be a strategic thinker, as, as an IT leader, there's no way on earth that innovation only comes out of the IT function. Now, again, if we're going to try to 
deploy something that was created out of one of the functions of the business to go across the enterprise, we have to bring that into IT. What I've learned through the years, when you create an IT function that performs very well and is very collaborative with other functions and business leaders and so on, I find that they don't want to do IT. They want that work to be in where it belongs. And, and that, that's been the experience that I've dealt with through the years. So, so Frank, uh, Frank Scavo, again, he's, Frank is a great analyst, um, and he always watches our show, for which we're very grateful. He, he, he comments that once the CIO embraces shadow IT, can't really call it shadow anymore, can you? It's no longer <laughs> hidden in the shadows. Well, I mean, see, shadow IT is just, that was, I think it's kind of cliche, actually. I, I think about what people do here at Hewlett Packard every day. Everyone comes to work to want to invent. They want to innovate. And, and we are a technology company. So um, again, if we, if we have functions or groups that are trying to do something that is du duplicative of what we do in IT, that wouldn't be good. For example, if we have, we have a group trying to create a different email system, as an sure. example, that, that's insane. That's, yeah. so that would be a shadow group that you gotta, you got to squash. Yeah. But if you have a group that is coming up with a different way to deal with social media within the business sure. and, and trying different things and a and, and very innovative way of looking at things, wow. I, I will tell you, we have, um, we have this reverse mentoring program here for folks that are early in career. And I learned so much from them. And they learned, it as, as a group of reverse mentors, they learned so much from each other that they are just a wealth of knowledge for us. And it really makes us think differently as we go forward. You know, I've been in industry over 30 years. So, you know, my mindset is the, all my different experiences. What I love is they have a way of looking at things that maybe the older guys think are shadow IT that they don't. Sure. And they have to embrace that innovation. So when I hear about some of the things that these folks that are early in career are doing, it gets me really excited. It gets my juices flowing because they're solving problems for us, not just in one area. We could take that now and, and solve that problem across the enterprise. That's awesome. That, that's what I get excited about. That's awesome. We certainly can feel your energy and passion and innovative spirit. So I'm going to ask, um, do you work with startups? And if you do work with startups, you know, how do you assess which startup you're going to partner with to drive the HP engine into the future? Uh, what type of criteria to look for? Well, I mean, first of all, as a, as a CIO of Hewlett Packard, I work, I get to meet with CIOs all over industry, first of all. So, so that's, that's the cool thing. Um, they either re seek out me or, or I may seek out them because they may have, been, have already solved a problem that we may be struggling with. And I love that um, I'm able to do that. And, 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 and frankly, that's what social media really helps you with because you can reach out to them if you don't have their email address. And, and I find that everyone does in, in the CIO community want to connect. So, so we, we do that at that level. Then, then, of course, with the vendors that we work with, we have our, 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 our vendors of some of our very large systems, and then we have some that are very small startups, if you will, from a software as a service that we use. But uh, every so often, there will be a startup that has a solution that gets uh, presented to us. We're going, wow, we really like this. Matter of fact, um, 
come on in. Let's talk about this. How do we how do we make this work? And and frankly, the first question we always have to ask: Will it scale? Will your solution scale for our size? Number one. Number two, I always bring in my CISO, my CISO in. Um, will we be able to uh, put the appropriate type of security in uh, without killing it, without killing the innovation? So we do have those kinds of discussions. There aren't too many uh, startups that would have products that could scale to your size with confidence, I would think. Well, you know, if you get some of the startups, that it, it, that's what's the beauty of software as a service. Hmm. You know, when you, when you do use software as a service versus an on-prem model, uh, they are, the way they're developing it is to deal with our type of scale. Now, I'm not saying that all of them do. I'm just saying that's the 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 ones that we have looked at, and I'm and you notice I'm not talking about them, but the <laughs> the, the ones that we have looked at, um, I tell you, they're very innovative in their way of doing things, and uh, actually we're pretty excited about working with them. So what is the, what's the hardest part of managing a large scale, you know, IT project? Is there yeah, what what checkpoints or milestones do you look for to ensure you're progressing to your commitments and your schedule? Well, you know, we we don't have a bunch of monolithic three-year large programs going forth. That's what's the beauty about this whole new style of IT and going forward. We are truly doing things where we're moving faster than I think this company ever has in deploying modern technology, modern applications. The company's done a phenomenal job in the last five years of rationalizing apps uh, and mm. consolidating our data centers. So we have a great foundation now to do app modernization. So the first thing that we look at when we, we have a, a very large program that we're going to move forward on is, you know, what are those key uh, critical success factors, right? So that, that hasn't changed. Sure. What are the key performance indicators? And, and what, what, you know, right off, what are the problems we're trying to solve? And then we put the best and brightest as far as program managers, project managers, working hand-in-hand hand with the same type of people on, in the function side, functional side, or on the business side. And then once we've laid out, we really truly have a plan in place, you're never going to know the unkunks, right? You're never going to know the unknown unknowns. And so you do the best you can to do risk mitigation. And sure. we, have our, we have our operational reviews. We have our various governance uh, we have our gate process that we go through, um, and I'll tell you that's that's the part that's actually that works really well because we're never going to deploy something that the business is not ready for, and, and it's important to remember that if a IT leader is only focused on the schedule, that is a big big mistake. You have to look at schedule. You have to look at our the quality. Are we really delivering what we said we were going to deliver? Does the recipient of that solution or capability agree? And are they ready? We call it management of change or change, you know, change management, right? Are they truly ready to, ad to adapt and adopt what we're going to deliver? And that kind of work doesn't happen overnight. That's an iterative process. And then what I found here in the last you know, 12 to 15 months is once you gain the trust and you have the credibility that people go, wow, this is really working well. They really start embracing it and everyone starts lining up saying, we want more. And uh, 
Again, uh, the demand's always greater than what we're able to provide, but that's a good problem to have. You, you know, again, I'm, I'm struck by a comment that you made that at a company the size of HP, you can uh, basically get rid of these large monolithic projects that take year after year after year after year. Uh, yesterday, there were hearings held in Massachusetts on some IT failures by the state senate. I was invited to testi testify uh, and offer observations. And it just makes me wonder whether or not some of these large, if HP can do it at your scale, sure. whether some of these large state systems can follow that same model, that same lead. Well, you know, that's what agile methodology gets you, right? And, you know, our problem is, you know, what may be different than maybe in the States is that our teams aren't co-located, right? So Agile works really, really well when everyone's in the same building sitting together. So mm -hmm. we have to come up with process and using video chat and, you know, uh, collaborative technologies to make sure we're all in sync because we try to work around the clock. We have people all over the world that are helping deploy what we need to. That's why we're able to do what we do in, in rapid response. So we, we you know, that's why we like to sometimes call it agile instead of just agile or waterfall. And, um, but that collaboration works extremely well for us through using, again, the agile methodologies. Now, you can't do it for everything, but when we can, it is pretty powerful. Michael and I next week are going to be at the Salesforce.com uh, Dreamforce event in San Francisco. Are you planning to attend? I will be there. Oh, you will be there. Well, no yes. surprise as yes. the largest deployment of a Salesforce solution. That's great. That's fantastic. What are you looking for forward to most um, uh, other than, you know, meeting Mark Benioff? <laughs> well, I mean, Mark, <laughs> Mark and I have met. Uh, Mark, Mark's a you know, ter terrific friend and colleague and, uh, and so forth. And, I, you know, I've been working with Salesforce.com since 2003 when they were very, very early. Uh, in their deployment. So I love how they continue to innovate and so forth and work with us extremely well. So what I look forward to is I'm part of the CIO Advisory Council and sure. I love to be a part of that process. To me that that is um, extremely satisfying for me where I can come in and represent Hewlett-Packard on saying these are the kinds of things we'd like to see different in the product going forward. And what I love about Mark and his leadership team is they've always embraced that since since I've been working with them, and and you know they they are the epitome of an organization that can move extremely fast at taking that input and actually put it into their product by the next time we meet, and uh, that so that, that's to me that's the part I love the most is that CIO advisory council. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, I think our time is just about to a close. That's unbelievable. We could, you know, there's a lot of things that we wanted to talk about that we didn't have a chance. We wanted to talk about mobile and analytics and I think we didn't go through half the questions. And culture change. Uh, but uh, Ramon, maybe you'll come back again another time. Absolutely. I'd love to. This was a lot of fun. I did enjoy it very much. Thank you both. Was a, see you in San Francisco. See you next week. Yes. <laughs> and you have been watching episode number 35 of CXO Talk. I am Michael Krigsman with my friendly, occasionally standoffish, <laughs> but primarily bubbly and ebullient Vala Offshore. Vala. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and with that, I would like to uh, thank you for watching and in particular thank uh, Ramon Baez, who Brilliant. is the CIO Brilliant. of 
Hewlett Packard, one of the largest companies in the world. Ramon, thank you very, very much. Oh, thank, thank you, sir. Take care. Everybody have a good weekend.